have you, Ripley. What? <laughs> Ripley's very hairy. Oh, I, sorry, I thought it was talking to Peter. It's a beard update. <laughs> yeah. It's grown a, two millimetres? Mm, easily, yeah. I would say one millimetre. Talking about beard, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are John Farthing, Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, and I'm Hazel Chandler. On today's show, we bring you some reviews and recommendations of things that we've been watching recently and would like you to enjoy too, including the return of Benoit Blanc in Glass Onion, the on screen adaptation of Matilda the Musical, a TV show all about everyone's favourite day of the week, Wednesday, and John, I'm not sure what you're recommending, but I hope it's not another Hellraiser film. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but... Oh, excellent. Let's start the show. Should I put hooray noises on behind that one? <laughs> like, can you get sarcastic hoorays somewhere? Hey! Was that your Benoit Blanc impression, Hazel? Our suspect. Oh, play. <laughs> You had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I was practicing in the mirror this morning uh, and I had it down really well, but not translating today. <laughs> I mean, you look exactly like him. So it's, uh, mm. yeah, the visual aspect of the impersonation is astonishing. I thought Daniel Craig had walked in the room. Yeah. Have you seen the Daniel Craig Tika Watiti whiskey ad? Is, is it Tika Watiti? Tika Watiti, as I'm now calling him. Do, when you say vis- whiskey, do you mean vodka? Vodka, yeah. Yeah. And by Tika, do you mean Taika? Yeah, and by Matiti, I mean... <laughs> by Daniel Craig. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there is a huge advert um, in Eldon Square of Daniel Craig holding vodka in a very enticing manner, sitting in a chair. Yes, I have oh, seen it. How's Taika Waititi involved? I have no idea. Why is he, Taika He directed involved? the advert. Really? And he's a uh, partner, Rita Ora, I think, did the music for the advert as well. Andy will love it. Mm. <laughs> In fact, that's the reason he's not here today, isn't it? I think, did he watch it? He, he immolated himself with a bottle of vodka rather than watch the rest of the advert. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, just a complete rip-off of the uh, Fat Boy Slim video with Crystal Walken, Weapon of Choice. Have anyone oh. seen that? That's a great video. Yeah. But it's Daniel Craig dances. Daniel Craig dances, yeah. yeah. I, I think the, the implication is he's free of the shackles of Bond to be who he wants to be. Advertising vodka. Unemployed. <laughs> I mean, he could have just chosen not to make more Bond films. I think he was going one film at a time, wasn't he? He wasn't on a five-movie contract or anything. He could have, he could have he, left. I, I think he was on a three-movie contract, and the last yeah. two he did by choice. That's his own fault, then. But he was contractually obliged not to market any other alcohol other than martini. Oh, I see. Really? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a beer with a lot of product placement in one of the... Daniel Craig Bond films, was it Heineken? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. On Dine of the Day, the last Pierce Brosnan one, which is 20 years old now. And still rubbish. And still rubbish, yeah. <laughs> there was $75 million worth of product placement in the film. I've still got my invisible car. Where did you leave it? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Somewhere in 2005, yeah. I, I parked it and uh, one day, oh. I just go around the streets just pressing the, the unlock <laughs> button. Do you do any other impressions? 
Well, there's my. I've done it before. It's my famous screech from Save the Bell. Oh, God no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me try that again. Ah, oh, so spooked. Bell play. Is that any better? That's, that's a little like bit. Cut in the room. That's a bit Australian. It is. Yeah, it makes my accents turn Australian towards the end of the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know? Five years ago, mm. yesterday, we recorded the first episode of Nerdfest. Oh, wow. How time flies. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> Sat around a little uh, tape recorder type thing, wasn't it? Or digital recorder. It sounded rather better in a few episodes. <laughs> yeah, we were all hugging cushions, weren't we? Is that a euphemism? <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing last night? I was hugging cushions. <laughs> and that's before Andy existed. Girls gotta do what a girl's gotta do. <laughs> <laughs> When Hazel was free to talk about Thor Ragnarok. I'm still free to talk about Thor Ragnarok. I just get back chatted to you. <laughs> Love and Thunder hasn't vindicated him. I don't think he's seen it. Okay. And I didn't encourage him to. Yeah, but no, Thor Ragnarok was the first film that we reviewed on the podcast. Yeah. The first Shameful Gap was... Robocop. And then... We had a little quiz. Yeah. Ian and Peter talked about Star Trek Discovery, maybe? Yes. Yeah, we did, yes. How was your birthday, Hazel, that was on Tuesday, just gone? Uh, it was answer A, wonderful, answer B, slightly disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure it will be, or it was, wonderful. What did you do? We Slash went... what? <laughs> <laughs> what will you be doing, I guess? We will be seeing uh, She Said, the film about the journalist who broke the Harvey Weinstein story, which then sparked the... Me Too movement in 2017. Perfect date movie. Mm-hmm. Also five years ago. It was, yes. Ah, wow. Did we bring him down? <laughs> I was going to ask what have we learned in the past five years, but it seems inappropriate now. <laughs> Looking forward. And then we're going to have tapas in the evening. No tapas, because he's going to take the lessons from that film. Who <laughs> <laughs> oh am I? Oh dear. And an answer to what we've learned in the past five years, John. Um, <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I have been recognised a few times for my podcast voice. Yeah, so you've been recognised for your voice? Like people talk to me and then after a few minutes when I recognise your voice, you do a podcast. Are you, are you maintaining you're the only person who sounds like you in the entire world? Presumably. What proportion of these instances are you talking about the Hellraiser franchise? Because that's probably a giveaway. Uh, I think none. Oh, wow. If you'd mentioned that, they would have walked away slowly and backwards. <laughs> it's him from the podcast. Run! So Hazel does impressions of famous people. Can you do with John? Hello, my name is John. Fuck me, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Yorkshire enough. <laughs> so, do we have some recommendations? Or did you want to talk about... I'll do that. Oh, yes. Do an, an Andor adorable update. Andor yeah. update, please. Bear in mind, I haven't seen the last three episodes, yeah. so I'm going to go into my soundproof booth. No, it's all right. I won't, I won't spoil it. Just bought a soundproof booth. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. when you get round to Hellraiser, we'll all go in for <laughs> a bit. <laughs> I was going to pick season one of Andor generally for my recommendation this week, but because it would be very tricky to remain spoiler-free while trying to talk about how brilliant it is. This is just like a little mini recommendation, just to say the first season has finished now, and I thought it was absolutely stupendous. It's the best Star Wars since Rogue One. It's my top three of all the Star Wars. It hits the original political ideas that George Lucas had in the 70s of 
big fascist empire versus small bands of freedom fighters, but it adds all these different tones and shades to it. It delves into the nitty gritty of prison systems and bureaucracy, but not in a taxation systems of outlining trade routes, prequels <laughs> kind of way, yeah. more in a great British theatre actors deliver really good dialogue and amazing monologues kind of way. You've got Fiona Shaw being absolutely tremendous. You've got one of the most charming puppy-like droids in all of the Star Wars, and he's just, just want to give him a hug. <laughs> Practically no reliance on, here's a thing from a thing that you remember, which is so refreshing, especially after Obi-Wan and the Book of Boba Fett. I thought episode three was a high point, and then episode six comes along. The end of episode nine is one of the best final lines of anything I've seen for a really long time. And then episode 10 builds on that and ratchets up the tension, and then it all comes to a head in the final episode, episode 12. And it's just a brilliant slow burn TV mastery. It's a kind of Star Wars that you wouldn't need to be big into your Star Wars to enjoy. There's no convenient space wizards showing up. There are no laser swords. Very, very few aliens. It's quite a human story. And technically they're all aliens. But they are officially within Galactic Basic called humans. So Okay. And it was a long time ago, so maybe they moved to our galaxy. It's a, a shame the ratings haven't been that good, isn't it? I think they're actually they're showing it on ABC and FX and Hulu yeah, in America. Yeah, just the first couple of episodes. But luckily... They've just about to start filming season two. Season two is the second and final season. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to get cancelled. It's a show that I will look for the hashtag on, on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, <laughs> and you just see the different reactions and people going, that was an amazing scene. And people don't know which amazing scene in that episode they're talking about because each one has got multiple peak moments. And it's just really refreshing to see a Star mm. Wars that pretty much everyone who's watching it is really, really enjoying it. Mm. A few people are saying it probably should have been on Hulu in America rather than Disney Plus because it's mm. fairly adult, isn't it? In not in you know not like um, Andor is going around calling people a <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> first use of the word shit in Star Wars. Yes, Trevor from EastEnders. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it is not a straightforward. Here are the plucky good guys. Here are the super, super evil bad guys. The Empire are very, very ruthless. They're the kind of people who sit around in their trench coats in meetings saying things like, going forward, which is a clear sign of evil. <laughs> but also you can tell that they're weak because they're relying on fear to control people. And when the people are not being controlled, they don't know what to do. I love how the main bad guy's a bit shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's really refreshing. It's just a middle-level management yeah. guy. It doesn't deliver what I thought I wanted from a Star Wars thing, a sort of fun, enjoyable thing you could really get into. It offers something totally different to that, and yet what it does offer is really good. Yeah, they're not trying to give you what you think you want from a Star Wars, which is Luke Skywalker shows up at the end and kills everybody with his lightsaber, which is... It was cool when that happened, though, It was very it? cool when that <laughs> happened, but that's, that's the trap that season two of The Mandalorian started to fall mm. into a little bit. What did you think when this show was first announced? And also, what were your thoughts on Cassian Andor being the lead? First announced, it was, ooh, wasn't expecting that to be a show, but that could be cool, because I love Rogue One. Mm. I really like Cassian in Rogue One. 
It's a complicated character. It's a complicated character. With, not good, not bad, yeah. just, uh, but has purpose. Not a lot of time to explore him in the film. Um, I disagree with the people who called him Cassian Blandor because I didn't think he... <laughs> I know. I didn't realise that was a thing. Yeah. Oh. It's mostly James Dyer on the Empire podcast. Uh, but he has since he's, completely he's done a turned around. Yeah. No, not 360. A 180. Yeah. yeah. 360 <laughs> is exactly the same yeah. place. <laughs> and it's now one of his favourite Star Wars as well. And he had no interest in it. It certainly had low anticipation mm. compared to the other ones. Yeah. But I would have thought when everyone was saying how good it was, that would have mm. turned people around to give it a yeah. try. Maybe now that it's over, if you haven't watched it yet, mm. it works in three episode blocks. Like mm. you could watch three mm. to go, watch episodes four to six, and it's almost like a complete story arc. You don't have to binge it all in one go to get the full story. I think eventually there was a plan for it to be five series, wasn't there? But um, the guy wouldn't commit to... Yeah, so Series 2 will build on the four years between where we're at now and the events of Rogue One. So I assume each block of three will be a A single year. Yeah, Yeah, that's the plan. But to get back to Hazel's question, I liked Cassian. I thought there was more that could be explored. Mm. He doesn't get a lot of time in the film because it's an ensemble, Mm. but he drops lines like, you know, I've been fighting these people since I was six years old. The Mm. first time you see him, he's getting rebel information and he kills his informant to make sure that he's not captured. And that's something we'd never seen one of the rebels do before. And the mm. show has taken that idea that the rebels are not completely good. They have to resort to tactics that you'd associate with the bad guys to actually beat the bad guys. You still want them to win, but you understand that if you're going to beat the fascists, then yeah. you might have to play by their rules a little bit. Yeah. So there was something to build on with him. And Tony Gilroy's clearly spotted that and ran with it. So, yay and or solid 10 out of 10. And that's Ooh. not even my recommendation. I'm sorry, I talked, <laughs> talked no, too no. much. It's nice to see us be passionate about something mm. in the Star Wars universe again to this extent. Yeah. Right. Other recommendations. Who would like to start us off? We could just get it over with. Till the end. We're gonna hide yeah. you in a kind of a sandwich of good recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> mm, a Xenobite sandwich. Mm, spiky. <laughs> I mean I could go first. Is your Benoit Blanc it. ready to go again? Oh, I'd like to rec- Oh no. <laughs> that was full right. crocodile dundee. Uh, <laughs> That's not a recommendation. <laughs> this is a recommendation. <laughs> okay. Right, I'm just going to talk normally. Is that all right? <laughs> Probably wise. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to tentatively recommend Glass Onion, which is the follow-up to 2019's Knives Out and directed by Ryan Johnson. Now, the Knives Out film, I thought, was a really nice homage to the whodunit drama. And it was one of my favourite films of that year. It put Anna de Armas firmly in the spotlight where she does belong. And it also made me spend far too much time thinking about how Chris Evans should wear more cream woolly jumpers. Should. Yes. <laughs> um, it, now, the film did very, very well at the box office, so much so that Netflix called up Ryan Johnson and made him an offer roughly equivalent to the size of how much PPE the UK government had to write off because it was unusable. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> political. Um, and so here we are with the first of two new Knives Out mysteries and the one recurring character, the most famous detective in the world, apparently, Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig. So the plot of this one, and obviously I'm not going to go into spoiler details, I'm going to very, very carefully dance around them and just kind of tell you the very basic D- Dancing around is in my recommendation. Is it? Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, So this involves an eccentric billionaire. Yay, haven't heard enough from those recently. Um, He is called Miles Braun and he is played with much silliness by Edward Norton, having a whale of a time uh, in front of the cameras, which is nice for him. He and his friends are known as the Disruptors and they gather at one of his residencies on a Greek island for what is advertised as a murder mystery party. (gasps) Ah, there's been a murder. (laughs) Those friends include Kate Hudson, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Dave Batista, and wait for it, Leslie Earl and Judy. Hey. Hey. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, the party turns sour when, wouldn't you know it, the murder mystery party turns a little too real. And cue Benoit Blanc to try and peel the onion. So there is some feelings of familiarity with the original Knives Out and, well, most murder mystery films. Uh, there's a lot of very dislikable people, multiple motives, multiple opportunities, and a twisty, turny plot which needs several let's stop and explain things in a large room scenes. But the tone of this one is um, lighthearted is probably the wrong word, but it's it's less serious than Knives Out. It's it's a bit sillier. The characters are more heightened and more hateful. And the money from Netflix is very much splashed about on the screen. Uh, billionaires do tend to buy the weirdest shit. <laughs> um, the new cast are quite, they're quite good, actually. Kate Hudson plays a fashionista who is constantly getting cancelled for saying racist things, <laughs> even though she claims ignorance over all of these. Like, oh, it was a, just a tribute to Beyonce. <laughs> Um, Catherine Hahn is, uh, well, always great. Uh, she's, she's great here uh, as a, uh, a wannabe senator. And Janelle Monet in particular is really, really good in this film. There is a lot of celebrity cameos and a lot of references that won't be to everyone's taste. And the film reminded me a little bit of Ocean's 12 in that respect, where they didn't need the majority of the cameos or the in-jokes, but they kept them in anyway, because I think they assumed that if they were having fun on camera that the audience is having fun too and it's not always the case ed norton is doing a lot of acting uh his character is quite over the top and and played as such i felt the story was pretty good i did feel a bit unsatisfied with where it ultimately went but then it kind of redeemed itself and you know i'm trying to dance around the spoilers um there are some really nice undertones in the movie that reflects the world that we're living in today i.e billionaires are bad <laughs> Rich people are horrible. (laughs) Um, Shock news. Yeah. There's a slightly shaky start, but I found myself getting fully invested in the mystery and just kind of going with it. Um, I don't think Benoit Blanc is going to trouble Poirot or Miss Marple anytime soon for the best on-screen portrayal of Detective, but he was quite enjoyable. And uh, Mr. Craig gets to explore more of his comedy chops this time around, which is mostly effective. It's also he's not overly used, so he's not the main character. He he chooses his moments to speak. He remains fairly mysterious as a character, although we do learn who he lives with, which is quite nice. So I don't know where I fall on this one. I only saw it yesterday. Um, 
I think I'm erring on being ever so slightly disappointed given how much I love Knives Out and this one just took on a sillier tone which wasn't quite as good. All of the essential ingredients are there, it just felt a little bit undercooked for me this one but still very very enjoyable. It is, well by the time you hear this, probably not available in cinemas anymore but coming to Netflix very very soon. It's in cinemas just for a week isn't it? A one week, but yes. Then- Christmas Day or just before Christmas Day on Netflix? Just before Christmas Day, yeah. Is that so it qualifies for awards or so they can call it a cinema movie or, or just you know, purely? I'm not entirely sure. Um, the awards thing, probably. Mm. Um, maybe to try and generate some buzz, extra buzz. It's only there for a week. You know, get in while she can. Might have been part of the deal. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson yeah. might have said, I'll That's make reasonable. two films for you, Netflix, but I want them in cinemas for a bit first. And yeah. also money. But even if it only takes a couple of million, I guess it's... And then they're not massively pushing it advertising-wise or anything. And mm. it's an advertising campaign for it being on Netflix as well, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I've got three questions. Go ahead with your second question. My second question <laughs> was, Catherine Hahn's in it. Mm. At any point, does she admit it was Agatha all along? Oh, I wish. Agatha Christie. Is she Mephisto? (laughs) (laughs) Confirmed. My first question, Mm. uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is in it. At any point, does he admit to being the damn fool who shot anyone? (laughs) He doesn't admit that. No. And third question, is there an equivalent to Anna de Armas' character, like a person that you can relate to amongst Mm. the group, or is it all just the suspects? Because that's kind of what made Knives Out work a little bit. It wasn't Benoit Blanc's story, it was Martha's. Mm. Yeah, I I find that question very hard to answer and people who have seen the film will understand why. Okay. (laughs) I was hoping she might tag along as like his assistant or something. Mm. Yeah, because they are great together, aren't they? You saw the way the screen came alive in the last Bond movie where she just turns up and was by far the best thing in the entire film. Mm. Mm. Are you satisfied? I will never be satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) Peter's like, was that a Hamilton reference or not sure? <laughs> when in doubt, yes, it was. <laughs> so what, what, was the guy who, the Hamilton guy? Leslie Odom Jr. Was he uh, a witness to the crime? Maybe. I just wondered if he was in the room where it happened. Hey. <laughs> I can confirm he was in the room where it happened, <laughs> yes. That was very good, John. Thank you. <laughs> he has been paying attention. <laughs> Is Ryan Johnson trying to do a kind of thing where each Knives Out film does feel like it's a different tone and it's Maybe. a slightly different take, but just yeah. transplanting Benoit Blanc to somewhere completely different each time. Mm. Is it like a, this one's a comedic one, this one's a super serious one? Is there a sense that that's the intention? Maybe. I think given when this film was set, I think the comedy choice was quite deliberate. I'm not going to okay. explain when it was set. 1920s. Benoit Blanc is (laughs) very much alive and well Um, I think it was a good choice to set it in the year it was set and then then go for the tone that it was set in I'm sorry if you've seen the film you know what I'm talking about right (laughs) hello (laughs) Um, at any point does Leslie Odom Jr. talk less and smile more does he ever let them know what he's against and what he's for because fools who run their mouths off wind up dead, don't they? He only says what needs to be said because he's a scientist. Does the structure vary from the traditional sleuth thing? Because one of the things that slightly wrong-footed me with Knives Out the first time mm-hmm. I saw it was this reveal of Vanna de Armas and how she worked within the storyline. 
And that spoiled my expectation of the trying to find out who the person who did it was, because they told you all that bit, even though there was other stuff to reveal. The way that the main thing happens is not explained like it is in Knives Out, Mm. although things are revealed throughout the film that adds a different perspective on what happened. So it's, yeah, it's not quite the same as it was in in Knives Out, where you get that like, oh, okay, so we entirely know what happened. No, this is is more mysterious. Oh, right, good. Yeah. is, Is there more... Fun in a... trying to guess the murderer, sort of thing. Yeah. Would it be possible to guess the murderer? Or was yes. it completely unpredictable? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take that out. It's <laughs> uh, funny. I think it's funny that you reveal so much and yet so little. <laughs> well, that's what my mother taught me. I've got one more question. <laughs> At any point is Leslie Odom Jr. presented with an itemized list of well, 25 years of disagreements? <laughs> Sweet Jesus. Uh. He's presented with a, a sticky note with a few things on there. Why is, and, and, why is and it sticky? After, after that, does he get a drink? Yes. Ah, like in Hamilton. <laughs> yes, exactly like Hamilton. Finally. <laughs> why don't you just watch Hamilton again, Daniel? Okay. <laughs> like I need a reason. <laughs> so how many... Hamiltons. How many layers of onions <laughs> out of ten? Ooh, I'm gonna go seven mm. layers of onion. Quite low. Good. Yeah, mm. pretty good. It'd be interesting to know if your score changes over time because it sounds like you haven't quite decided how you feel about it. I have not quite decided how I feel. But maybe about once it. once it's cooked a bit more, you might enjoy it a bit. And so it's been yeah. caramelised, the onion or sauteed. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is glass onion though. So yeah, you wouldn't want to eat that, would you? Yeah. Are the beetles in it? You know what? <laughs> there is a reference to the Beatles, yes. Because <laughs> I'm guessing that's called that because of the song. Uh, yeah, so Ed Norton uh, is carrying a certain instrument belonging to one of the Beatles okay. and tries to play it but can't okay. because he's a dick. <laughs> There's only one instrument that should be. What are you going for? Paul McCartney's bass. So if you tried to play Paul McCartney's bass, unless you were also left-handed, you would struggle. More likely it's just he's a nerd. I don't know how I'd feel watching it again, knowing what I know. Would you watch it again? Yeah, but not anytime soon. Because okay. obviously the, the onion does get peeled throughout the film and it'd be interesting to watch the film again and picking up mm-hmm. more clues as to how they've done that. How do you peel glass? Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> right, who's next? I wasn't a rejecter. I was showing the cut on my finger. <laughs> Um, is this, Peter, you tried to catch a drone, didn't you? I did you? try to catch my drone, yes. <laughs> Just stick your finger up in the air. <laughs> I did, and sliced into it with the propeller, so it was bleeding gently for several days. Was the drone undamaged, though? That's the main thing. Yes, luckily. My fingers will never be the same, but... <laughs> and it's now developed a taste for human blood. <laughs> <laughs> Rubs the earth. What's that through the window? Hovering. Oh, no. All right, who's next? I don't know, but I want to see a murder mystery now where a drone actually does the killing and the, there, they there can't figure film. out who who done it. There, there's a straight-to-DVD film called Drone, I think, where a drone kills people. Okay. It's not very good. <laughs> Speaking of not very good. Oh, okay. God. Are we going it's, there already? I mean, sandwich. Yeah, all right. Um, so... Just thinking about certain relationships of my life, just, you know, get it over and done with. <laughs> Rip the band-aid off. It'll be over soon. My recommendation this week is um, the new Hellraiser film, which uh, popped up on Hulu in the States. Can I um, ask a question at the outset? Yeah. 
could we have a Halloween style chronology of the, all the Hellraiser films, please? You can, but there's not really that much continuity between them. So they're, 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 really? yeah, so you shock me. <laughs> so we had Clyde Barker's Hellraiser in. 1987, which is an absolute masterpiece of a film. Everyone's it, got their head in their hands. <laughs> it, it why? A, why do you encourage him? <laughs> it's a no. It's a genuinely good British American horror movie. It's one of only a couple of films Clyde Barker actually directed himself, and he does an amazing job on a very very limited budget. It's creepy. It's kind of. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah, it's got like a, a a weird sort of kinky fetish quality to it. It's very very dark. It's bursting with ideas, and it's you know it, it's a it's a modern classic. It really is. I think most people recognise that. And then we've got nine or ten sequels of varying quality. Are any of the others based on Clive Barker's books? No, I mean Hellraiser two. He was involved in as a writer. Hellraiser 3 and 4, I think, was involved in as a producer. And 4, I think, is the last one he had any involvement in until the new one. Hellraiser 2 is a direct sequel on the same night. Um, much bigger, sprawling, bigger budget, but a bit of a mess. And it was very heavily edited on its release. Um, I think both to get an R rating and to try and make some sense of a fairly incoherent plot. Hellraiser 3 was the mainstream entry. This is Hell on Earth, and it's Jadzia Dax from Star Trek Deep Space Nine as a journalist who finds... Very Farrell. Yeah, and this is the one where Pinhead and all his new disciples, including, I think, CD Man, who has a CD in his head. Just one second, you've sent Dan into a trance. Yeah, <laughs> who has a, a CD in his head. Has he converted to streaming in this new one? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a load of zeros and ones. And by this point, Pinhead becomes Freddy Krueger, very similar, like wisecracking and making funny kills and that kind of thing. That didn't really work. And then we got Hellraiser 4, which is the big sprawling one, which we've talked about before, the one where we partially go into space. Um, but we also go into the past and the present, and it's kind of like three stories in one, tracing the history of the box. And that was taken over by the studio and was released as an Alan Smithy movie, the last one to get a cinema release. And since then, we've had another six or so sequels, uh, of which Hellraiser 5 is surprisingly good. Surprisingly <sighs> good, yeah. Directed by Scott Derrickson, who went on to do Doctor Strange and had some interesting ideas. The Black Phone, did he do that? Yes, he did. It's really yeah. good, that. So ever since the late 90s, Miramax and Dimension have been trying to get a big budget, big screen Hellraiser movie off the ground, which has just met delay after delay after delay. So... Every two years or so, I think, they had to release a Hellraiser movie to keep the rights to the characters. So you get films that were made for tens of thousands of dollars with two minutes of footage of Pinhead in there at the end going, oh, it was a Hellraiser all along. I think the last one was never intended to actually be publicly released, but turned up on DVD. It escaped. (laughs) Have you seen it? I have, yeah. It's awful. (laughs) And yet he keeps watching (laughs) Actually, I'm not sure I've seen it all the way through. Um, Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead in the original, even dropped out for the last two because they were just so poor. And how long have you been waiting for this new one? The last one came out in 2011. So we've been waiting 11 years since the last one. Um, I I wouldn't say waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the collapse of Miramax and Dimension and all that basically meant the rights were in a mess for years. And now we've got the point where we've got a new film that's just come out and we have also 
I think next year, a TV series coming on HBO that has nothing to do with the film. So we're now in a position where somebody has the film rights and somebody has the TV rights. So we're going to get a lot of Hellraiser in the near future. Which brings us to the new one, which um, still didn't get a cinematic release. It went uh, straight to Hulu and Amazon Prime over here to purchase. And I assume we'll pop on Disney+. Plus. It's much bigger budget than the previous sequels, but it still is, I think, fairly, fairly low budget. We're in two or three locations, not that many characters. We open up with a very, very brief prologue set in Serbia for reasons that are made clear at the end of the film when you get uh, made with the financial assistance of the Serbian Film Authority. So clearly they pop there for a week to get a tax break. A woman meets a stranger on a bench and exchanges a big wad of money for a wooden box with a smaller box inside it. The box from all the films, which is pretty much the only link with the previous films. It's a weird... John, yeah. what's in the box? It's Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> it's not a remake of the original. It's basically another Hellraiser story that just takes the iconography of the films and t- tells a new story around that. We next pop to a mansion where the guy, Govin Evinich, Govin Evinich. Goran Evinich, the tennis player. No, the uh, the guy from ER. Yes, I could spell his name, but I would not know how to pronounce it correctly. Uh, V-I-S-N-J-I-C. Can you remember who he played in ER? Uh, George Clooney's replacement. Also very, very good in Timeless, which was, uh, I think it's on Netflix now, but it was on Channel 4 a few years ago. Time travel, heist drama, and he was the baddie in that. Hmm. It's not the spoiler says the only actor having fun. So what happens in Timeless? Because it's far more interesting than what happens <laughs> okay. in Timeless. So Patterson Joseph has a time machine, um, <laughs> and Goran steals the time machine and starts changing the past. So a historian, an army guy, and a Time travel scientists have to take okay. the experimental prototype of the time machine and travel back to various points in history to try and stop him from changing it. And then get a wild card and go to Wimbledon and win it. That's what happened. <laughs> I mean, they could have done. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. Any time travel movie I haven't seen, I'll watch. <laughs> Two seasons before it got cancelled, but they did wrap it all up on Netflix now. Watch Timeless. Unless they make a Hellraiser one that involves time travel. Yeah. Have they? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You were yeah, saying about right. Timeless. <laughs> yeah, so we, 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 we popped to the, the mansion of a billionaire uh, who's having a... Oh, <laughs> man. And, and he's a very evil billionaire. Um, he was having a, a, um, a, a big old sex party. There's a big old orgy going on in the background. Very tasteful orgy. <laughs> <laughs> what makes a tasteful orgy? Uh, very... Bunting. Depends what you're tasting. <laughs> <laughs> very delicately shot. Small cakes afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Finger food. <laughs> <laughs> and there's your episode title. <laughs> uh, so we have a, a, a young guy who has been invited to this party, who is then invited to see the mysterious billionaire, who gives him the box, which has changed shape. And he's now a weird kind of hexagonal, rectangular, octagonal, God knows what shape. Is that because they filmed it with a different box and then they had to there's definitely been there, There's definitely been reshoots, I think. Is it supposed to change? Well, the, the, the box is... Uh, have you seen any of the Hellraiser no. films? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why would I? I should explain the concept of... of, of, of I was of, busy of, watching Timeless. I should explain <laughs> the concept. Can I tell you about it? <laughs> I should explain the concept of the puzzle box to, to you, Dan. Great. 
So the puzzle box. You like puzzles? Yeah, you love a puzzle. Do you like Rubik's cube? Why does John keep watching these things? <laughs> do you like a Rubik's cube? They're nice colours on them, yeah. Imagine you do a Rubik's cube, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but instead of when you solve the Rubik's cube, mm. instead of getting nice sides all the same colour, mm. you get demons coming from hell and hooks coming and pulling your flesh apart and dragging you down to hell to be eternally tortured. Oh. Why, why would I do that puzzle? Because you are a sensation seeker. Oh, I see. You are bored with all that Earth has to offer. You seek pleasure and pain beyond that which mere mortals can taste. <laughs> he sounds like he's been practising this. <laughs> Tempted? No. Um, people are doing this deliberately then. In the first film, yeah, and that's the entire point of the first film. You get a guy bored. He's kind of a sadomasochist kind of guy, but he wants to experience the ultimate sensation. He opens the box and shit happens and it all goes terribly wrong and it's not what he expected. And that's the kind of thing of the film, that these demons that come out and take these people who desire this thing and kind of feed on them. And it's a punishment, but it's a punishment that they brought upon themselves. Um, Public service announcement. If you're listening to this and you ever feel bored in your lives, don't don't do this cube thing. Timeless is on Netflix right now. Two seasons. That'll help. Do you think this is John's plan to bore everyone into the stage of actually trying? No. uh, I should point out I've seen three different people look at their watches so far during this particular, including me. As as a premise, that I guess that makes sense. People looking for extreme sensations do things that they shouldn't do and presumably regret it when they're being torn to pieces in hell. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. that is what we presume happens to um, the tennis player at the start of <laughs> the new Hellraiser. But for the rest of the film, just bad things happen to people who happen to be holding the box. Is it a bit like Saw? I have not seen Saw, but is it like punishes people who deserve it? That's the um, kind of the concept of it, yeah. Mm. But again, that's kind of forgotten in this way. It just seems to punish anybody. So where would you rank this particular Hellraiser in the Hellraisers? Obviously, five is the best. Um, is it a welcome return? Kind of. Um, the main plot of the film is that after this happens, a woman called Riley finds the box. And um, Riley is a ex-addict who has medium-length curly hair and normal lips or long curly hair and obvious use of lip filler, depending on where in time, the scenes that she was in were shot. Right. <laughs> There's some very odd continuity in her in her face and hair. And then it's her and her friends who get dragged into this mystery with the box, trying to find out where the box comes from, whilst slowly, one by one, being killed off by Pinhead and the other Cenobites. Um, so I think the question was, where does this <laughs> particular film stand? Yeah. It's just, it's very safe. This, this it like... sounds safe. <laughs> okay, so it's... it's Sounds like a nightmare. Particularly in the last third, it's really bloody and gory and you get all the people being ripped apart and dragged down to hell and flayed and all that kind of... By safe, do you mean have resorted to those kind of tactics to shock and yeah. engage the audience rather than a more well-rounded, complex story that it sounds like the first one was. Yeah, so it doesn't have that weird sexuality sensibility that the first one has. It's very safe in that way. Hmm. It doesn't have that taboo-bursting kind of thing that the original has. It doesn't have that weirdness. Even with the Cenobite designs, they look really fake. So in the original film and some of the sequels, you get little flashes of the Cenobites and they're in shadows. In this one, even though their skin's all been pulled apart and they've got like 
bones sticking out and things like that, it's very, very plasticky and obvious mm. that it's effects. Mm. And you see them sort of full body, very well lit, and they just look a bit silly. Mm. We went from going to they just look they just look daft. They they lose their sinisterness very very quickly. When you say we, did you make Louise sit through this? Yes, she wasn't <laughs> impressed. <laughs> this is not mm-hmm. surprised me. Governor Vinicevic is having a ridiculous amount of fun. He's hamming it up. He's in a completely different movie to everybody else, but it's really really fun. He has one of the most ridiculous special effects I think ever. He looks like he's had an accordion shoved through him at one point and he's just running around going, ah, the pain, with like this metal bit sticking out of the front and back of him. As he breathes, do you get the sort of cartoon no. accordion in out noise every time <laughs> No, that would have been better. <laughs> in the last half an hour, the, there's plot twists that don't really work and the internal logic of the film falls apart. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you like horror movies, there's stuff there that you'll enjoy. It's a big step up from all the straight-to-video sequels over the years, but it's not what we've been waiting 11 years for. We. (laughs) (laughs) So how many episodes of Timeless out of 10 (laughs) would would you give Hellraiser? I'm between a 6 and a 7. 6.66, perhaps. (laughs) 6.66. Which, oddly enough, is uh, both the amount of people the Cinebites have to kill... And your pin code. My pin code. <laughs> and one more than the number of low-key character actors that are basically paying for equity scale and can't act to save their lives. <laughs> cool. Dan, say this with uh, <laughs> a fully wholesome story, not about abuse or anything like that. I don't know all. if you met the Trunchbull. Well, that, that's where I was going with well, it. Um, yeah, uh, my main recommendation this episode is the new film adaptation of Roald Dahl's Matilda, the musical. And Matilda, the musical, was created in around 2010-ish by the RSC with songs written by Tim Minchin. I saw it on stage probably around 2012-ish and absolutely loved it. The songs are so intricately written. I remember one in particular just making me laugh a lot and another one making me cry quite a lot. And John knows the song I mean for that one because he and Louise and I were talking about this on the group chat last night. Yes, we all had a little cry. Not in the group chat, but we all, yeah. (laughs) It's Uh, around Miss Honey. Yeah, it's a song called When I Grow Up, and it's kind of led by the kids talking about all the things they can't wait to do and be able to do and be allowed to do when they're grown up. And Minchin, I think, has said in interviews that he wrote that song to be the one that makes the grown-ups in the audience cry. Mm. Because when you are a grown-up and you hear that, you just think about all the reasons why you would like to just be a kid again and have the freedom that they don't know that they've got because they want to be grown-up. And yeah, it's just, it gets me every single time. Uh, My main memory of watching the show is um, there was a standing ovation at the end, but not the kind you get where people go, oh, there's people standing up. Should we stand up? Should we? Yeah. Okay. We'll stand up. Like people leapt to their feet. You couldn't hear the last song over the applause. And the film captures a lot of the sense of fun and the sense of joy. I still would recommend seeing it on stage if you can. If you can't, this will give you a good idea of why it's been running since 2010 in the West End on Broadway and on tour. It preserves a lot of the big themes of Matilda, standing up to bullies, Mm. love of stories and books and reading, and where people's strength comes from, how people can overcome their circumstances. Mm. 
There's a certain amount of, in uh, the Roald Dahl book, in, in the Danny DeVito film, of her going into her own imagination and like becoming a magician as a place, place to go to escape the horrific world in which she is forced to live. Yeah, what she does in this version is she starts making up a story. Mm. And she, she's friends with a librarian played by Sindhu V, who is one of several grown-up actors in this film that are really, really good. And Matilda makes up a story about an acrobat and an escapologist. And as the film goes on and she starts adding new chapters to this story, more of what's been happening to her starts to come into it and you... Mm start to piece together all the parallels and understand mm. where it all fits in. That's part of the stage show as well. It's a heightened reality. It could be set in the past. It could be set right now. Mm. Big characters, Stephen Graham and Andrea Riseborough play Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood, Matilda's parents. Mm. They are having a fantastic time hamming it up spectacularly. Evil. Emma Thompson is Miss Trunchbull, the headmistress at Matilda's school. And if you thought the parents were hamming it up, Emma Thompson is having a glorious time. Is it traditionally played by a male actor? Yeah, in the, um, in the, uh, in the stage show, stage it's show. a man in drag. Uh, Bertie Carvel, I think, was the first one because they want somebody with that big, the size big build. Isn't it? Yeah. Trunchbull is much taller, much broader, much wider than all the other characters. Mm. If you go to the V&A Museum in London, you can see the original costume and you can see how big the person who plays her has to be. With the aid of prosthetics and clever movie costuming and camera work and things like that, you can do that with Emma Thompson. Mm. And, ooh, the cruelty. uh, Or the (laughs) the things she says, it's very, very funny Mm. uh, watching her do it. But you also can't wait to see her get her comeuppance. Hmm. So how close do we you to the stage? Pretty closely. Everything felt more or less in the right order. It never felt stagey, particularly. Mm -hmm. But there are big choreographed routines. It goes in and out of songs a bit more quickly. I've heard that about like the editing. It's quite frantic. Yeah. And like the song finishes and you're straight in mm. to the next bit. Mm. There are a few bits missing. Matilda's brother is not in the film version. All right. One of my favourite songs, which Mr. Wormwood sings about telly and how mm. it's better than books. It's about two hours. So it's not a short mm. film, but mm. obviously there were bits that had mm. to go. But mm. the essence of it all is in there. Is there anything the movie can do better because it's a movie and not a stage show? Like in being able to show a thing in its real environment or... I think it's in the characters. Um, The songs are pretty well preserved. The way that Minchin's written his lyrics and things like that. Mm. The sound mix is sometimes slightly better than you might get in the theatre because you can pick up on things. The more imaginative sequences you can properly do in a film, whereas you're limited by the theatre. Uh, Although I love the set design of the show, the way they've done it. But I think it's in the characters. Uh, Lashana Lynch, Mm. who was 007 in the last Bond film, is Miss Honey. And she is the purest, most lovely person Mm. you could ever encounter. John would hate her. Um, (laughs) I was saying you've encountered me. I I know, you're you're second to Miss Honey, I'm afraid. (laughs) Uh, But she's able to show a range of emotion and subtlety in that character that might be there on stage, but if you sat right in the back of the theatre, you're not necessarily going to get it because they've got to go big. And she was one of the biggest highlights of the film version Mm -hmm. for me. So Mm -hmm. just by nature, the fact you can do close-ups. 
the torture devices in it. It's the um, Chokey it does the make chokey, an appearance, yeah. yes. Ooh. And you do not want to go to Chokey. No. I think the film put me, uh, um, the Danny DeVito one put me off wearing pigtails. Because mm. you could be launched up in the air, apparently. And <laughs> yes. When I like, first a, like a slingshot. Yeah. Like, I can tell you, Amanda Thripp does not have as nice a landing in this version as she oh, did in the American no. one. When I saw the stage play, there's there's a bit where they obviously do a switch with Miss Trunchbull mm. and one of the children, and I didn't see the switch. <gasps> <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> in the credits, I did spot that there was a Trunchbull stunt double for her hammer throwing. Mm-hmm. Played by a wrestler called Justin Sizem, who is a bodybuilder type mm-hmm. wrestler. So clearly, they still needed that male physicality for yeah, her. Yeah, to, to launch. Yeah, to launch a child <laughs> into the air like an Olympic hammer throw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Sounds great. Yeah. So that is uh, in cinemas at the moment, but it is a Netflix co-production, so it should be turning up on streaming relatively mm-hmm. soon. So I heard- Sadly, not. Oh no, I, I was really. A- I was very upset about this because it's, it's kind of ruined our Christmas Day. Oh, no. <laughs> because it's coming on Netflix on Christmas Day. So we were like, okay, that's our Christmas afternoon movie sorted. But it's coming on Netflix on Christmas Day everywhere apart from the UK, and we're not getting it until next June. Hmm. I assume hmm. something to do with the licensing deal that hmm. they have means that things get their cinema release, yeah. Presumably the show's on Broadway and other places. It is, it's, it's definitely still on the West End. They just passed their 4,000th performance. I'm not sure if it's still running on Broadway at the moment, but there's been touring productions in recent mm. years as well. So it's still very much out and about in the world. Yeah. You always wonder with musicals, there's sort of repeat value that works well for musicals. Mm. And you'd like to go to a musical that you know, that yeah. you know you'll enjoy. So I imagine having it more generally known would make it more likely mm. people will go to yeah. see the stage show. Yeah, I think it probably will. Uh, the songs particularly, some of what Minchin's written... The more you listen to it, the more you pick up on the school song that you'll see in the film. The first time you hear it, you go, that was really, really clever. And then you listen to it again and you start to piece together how he structured the song and how he's figured it all out. And you can listen to it a hundred times and still go, this is so clever. How has he done this? (laughs) Uh, And then the one we were talking about before, When I Grow Up, the more you listen to that, it will not fail to get you emotionally. Mm Is there any new songs in it? I think there might be. There's a couple I don't remember from Mm -hmm. the West End cast recording. There were a few where I thought, is this the one that they've added just in case they get an award? Why do you say that? Is it because you get best original song? Yes. If you do an adaptation of a musical, you will not get a nomination for best song at the Oscars unless you've written one specifically for the film. So that's why the Les Mis film added a one with... Valjean and Cosette in their carriage because that was the one that could be nominated for an Oscar. Otherwise, it's weird. You have a musical and it doesn't get any song nominations at the film awards. It's because it has to be an original song. Hmm. Which in the golden age of the movie musical wasn't an issue. Yeah. But when you tend only to get stage adaptations, they've got to do a new one. Hmm. And that's the reason they do it. So how many children launched like hammers out of (laughs) ten? I would give this a high seven, not quite on the level of the stage show. If you have a choice between the two, I'd go and watch it live. If you can't, though, this is a good way to get an idea of why it's been such a hit. The, the problem that we've got now is we've got three things so far that have all had sevens, and mine is clearly a lot worse <laughs> yeah. than yours. I'm going to take mine down to a five. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> yeah. 
But we hopefully have something from Peter, also involving pigtails. It does. That might bring our average up for the episode. Well, we'll see. I've just started watching Wednesday, which is Netflix's new Adam's Family spin-off, with many of the episodes directed by the goth prince himself, Tim Burton. Uncle Tim. Probably the first person you turn to for this sort of thing. Wednesday Adam's now a teenager, kicked out of regular school for exacting revenge on the swim team bullies by releasing a swarm of piranhas into the pool. It's all fun and games till someone loses a testicle. (laughs) Does that happen? It does happen. Yeah. That was the uh, the working title of Hitler's Autopilot. They wanted to be snappier. Wow. Anyway, he gets sent to Nevermore Academy, a kind of Hogwarts for outcasts, filmed with werewolves and vampires and other weirdos. She claims she's allergic to colour, so she gets to wear a black and white stripy version of the school uniform. Bit of Tim Burton oh, there. should have tried that. It all plays out a bit like a dark Mean Girls cross with Smallville. The Smallville creators. It is, isn't yes. Yeah. It's uh, Alfred Goth and Miles Miller. Mm. Alfred Goth. That's <laughs> just appropriate. Nominative determinism at its finest, isn't it? It just fits. Goth, not Goth. Oh, sadly. <laughs> it relies heavily on Jenna Ortega in the title role, and she really nails the dry humour. What was cute and surprising in small doses from tiny Christina Ricci could have been difficult to like from the lead, who occupies most of the running time. But she handles it brilliantly. And there are plenty of typical Wednesday lines, one of which I'm going to attempt and probably regret attempting. Impressions, impressions. She's been smothering me with hospitality. I hope to return the favour. In her sleep. Yeah. The sporting cast are all really good, especially Gwendolyn Christie as the school principal. Other notable actors are Catherine Zeta-Jones as Morticia. And Christina Ricci returns as the house mother. Does she add to it? or Not in the first episode. She may show why she's there a bit more later on. Mm-hmm. I always thought she'd have made a good Morticia. Yeah. I, I was just thinking Gwendolyn Christie would make a good Trunchbull. Yes, mm-hmm. she would. Yes. There's also a fantastic score by Danny Elfman. The first episode features a great cello rendition of Paint It Black, which totally kicks the crap out of the music in Disenchanted, which I watched a day or two before. Not good. Uh, sadly, not. I mean, the, the original Enchanted is brilliant, mm. but yeah, it sort of falls flat a bit, unfortunately. Mm. This show does struggle with tone sometimes. I'm always drawn to the dark humour and style across all of the iterations. I've also sometimes find the Adam's logic a bit inconsistent. Mm. Yeah. It seems to be that they enjoy death (laughs) and kill lots of people, but yeah, I I don't quite understand it. (laughs) But maybe that's the point. I don't know. Does anyone else understand? Oh. Uh, Sort of how they work and how, yeah, how they tick. Well, it kind of goes, that's how they tick. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I never thought that the Adams Family were people to be understood. Just mm. it's their world and we're just kind of observing it. Well, yeah, mm. maybe. It's a shame that Morticia and Gomez, who's played by Luis Guzman, were missing that sense of glamorous romance and passion and tragic undying love that always seemed to drive those characters. They, they just, mm. uh, it doesn't quite come across. Yeah, here. that was something that I remember fondly. <laughs> Morticia's arm, left arm is not her left arm. It belongs to Gomez. <laughs> but yeah, I guess with any recasting, I think Catherine Zeta-Jones as mm-hmm. Morticia is That's good a, as good a Morticia as you'll get. Yeah. But it must have been very difficult to think, where do you go from Raul Julia? Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. And uh, Angelica just, Houston. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so charismatic. Yeah. John Aston's still around. Who's that? 
And Sean Astin's dad played mm. Gomez in the original yes. TV series. Oh, okay. He's in his nineties and still working, wow. and still has a mustache. So yeah. quite how romantic that would be. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, she's she only played a couple of years older than Michael Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to uh, check the uh, news for when this episode comes uh, out, just possibly, in case John's yeah. curse is. <laughs> yeah. Nathan Lane in the Adams Family musical was pretty good. Him as yes. as Gomez yeah. with Baby Newith from Cheers and Frasier mm. as Morticia. I never saw that. Um, I've seen a few clips of the original. I mm. think it was a big, big flop on Broadway. Yeah. But, um, so there have been all these different attempts, but everybody's kind of got an Adams in their head. Yeah. And if they deviate too much from that, it can be tricky to reconcile it, I think. Mm. Yeah, it could well be that. Um, one, one other risky thing I thought, they put her in a school of outcasts. So rather than having a, like a normal mm. school and then she's reacting yeah, yeah. different. Water. In this case, you know, well, there's piranhas in the water. Yeah. That's really yeah. Yeah. I guess that's been done in the Adams Family Values, was it? Where they went to summer school. Mm. So yes. that, that kind yeah. of plot has already been done. Presumably want yeah. to try something this different. There's a potential to see how weird she can yeah. get. Uh, I mean, it's, the school is close to like a, a normal town, so she gets to interact in that way. So mm. maybe that fixes it. Um, but there is loads to like here, and it's far better to try and be ambitious and occasionally miss and have some brilliant bits than be safe and boring. Mm. So I'm looking forward to watching the rest. I'm mm. really enjoying it. How much um, Adam's family do you get in it other than Wednesday? I've only seen the first episode so far. So the family sort of taking her to the school and things mm-hmm. and they sort of have crystal ball time instead of FaceTime that oh, they I pop see. up on <laughs> and so they may do that occasionally yeah. but uh, Thing is in it quite a bit he um, comes to school with her that's handy hey! <laughs> uh, how many episodes is Wednesday uh, I don't actually know to be honest oh um, I did forget g- I asked <laughs> <laughs> is it an all at once drop yes it is so, I mean I would guess 8 or 10 or yeah. 12 or 15 yeah. it's one. 8 episodes oh damn it Remember, I asked again. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many would you give it out of? Well, the things I've cut my finger. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can't actually click it. I'll, I'll give it a try. So there are eight so far. <laughs> Seven if you hate teenagers. Would I do? <laughs> <laughs> Seven then. <laughs> That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time. Until then, you can keep up to date with us on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And for those... We're still on Twitter. I think so. (laughs) At the moment. And those who go the extra mile and help us out by leaving us a positive review, your efforts will not go unrewarded, will they, John? You will suffer pain and pleasure like never before. <laughs> a sensation that has never been seen on Earth. Come with me as we sit and watch Timeless together. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who's really glad he's shit at Rubik's Cubes. <laughs> a man who wishes he was as well-read as Matilda. Mm. And the man who... Da, 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 da. Come on, guys. <laughs> I, I can't click. John was kicked out of the Adams family. Yeah, yeah not for that, though. It was too weird. <laughs> <laughs> and a woman who suspects foul play. What luck? What did you get here? <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye. I think you should watch the Hellraiser films. Actually, done. Why? You might not like them at first, but I think you'll get hooked on them eventually. Oh, <sighs> <sighs>